This is the Daily Detail, powered by 1819 News, Honest News. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. The voice of Alabama values. Alabama. Unbelievable people. And now, here is Andrea Tice. Three of Alabama's congressmen are joining 86 other members of Congress to seek a withdrawal of the U.S., from the World Health Organization. U.S. Representatives Robert Adderholt, Jerry Carl, and Mo Brooks all signed a letter that was initiated by Congressman Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin. It was then sent to the Biden administration. The letter is also seeking documents and communications that were exchanged between the Biden administration and the WHO. Adderholt says that the World Health Organization has lost its focus on health and has become highly political. He also cited the fact that the WHO refused to stand up to China for the origins of the COVID-19 virus, as well as the handling of the virus outbreak in the Wuhan province. The letter as a whole called the organization a corrupt international bureaucracy and called on the Biden administration to stop wasting American taxpayer money by continuing to send funds to the WHO. Well, when it comes to health and COVID-19, the fight is not over here in Alabama. There are now 50 nurses working at the Birmingham Veterans Affairs Hospital who recently spoke to 1819 News investigative reporter Sean Patrick Taylor. Those nurses say that their requests for a religious or medical exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine have gone ignored and unfulfilled. They also say that they're being threatened with disciplinary action, reassignment from their positions, or even termination of their job. These same doctors and nurses told 1819 News that the VA hospital is already operating with a 37% shortage of nursing positions and that this latest move will result in 44 more nurses potentially being removed from caring for those veterans. The Birmingham VA healthcare system responded to these claims, telling 1819 News that they are just following the federal health care policy issued by the Biden administration. You can find more details on this whole emerging story at 1819 News. Well, there was a whole lot of good, wholesome, and fun activities that occurred this past three-day weekend here in Alabama. Unfortunately, those ones won't make the headlines. It's going to be this one party because of what police found there. A noise complaint in the town of Southside came into police regarding a party that resulted in police seizing numerous guns and drugs. There were over 100 people at this party, including teenagers, while alcohol was present. 33-year-old woman was arrested and charged for holding the party and violating laws on alcohol and controlled substances with anyone under the age of 21. One of the firearms found by police was also stolen. An independent firm out of Washington, D.C. released a 288-page report after being commissioned by the Southern Baptist Convention to conduct an evaluation of their handling of sexual abuse cases. Now the SBC has released a secret list of pastors and church staff who were accused of sexual abuse and even charged. The nationwide database has over 700 entries that span roughly 20 years. There are 35 SBC pastors who were in Alabama when they made it onto that list. The charges against those pastors range from the production of child pornography to sexual assault to rape. The list also shows that those abusers were charged through the state legal system and serve prison time or are currently in prison. For more in-depth stories affecting the state of Alabama, go to 1819news.com. In national news, the U.S. Department of Justice is going to conduct a review of how a mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, was handled by local and state police. Many of the parents 
have reported to local news outlets that only two police officers entered the building shortly after the teenage gunmen arrived there and that it took over an hour for the other tactical teams and law enforcement officers to organize and then enter the school. Turns out that the U.S. Border Patrol tactical team ended up using a janitor's key to get into the classroom where the gunman was. 19 children and two teachers were shot in that classroom during the time that the police were delaying. DOJ spokesman Anthony Coley says that the review process will likely take months to conduct and will then be made public when completed. The DOJ's Office of Community Policing Servicing will handle the review. Meanwhile, in Charleston, West Virginia, a female civilian was able to thwart a potential mass shooting at a graduation party. Lieutenant Tony Hazlitt with the Charleston Police Department spoke to WSAZ News. I will say on the Charleston, West Virginia case, Charleston Police Department case, this lady was carrying a lawful firearm, okay, a law-abiding citizen who stopped the threat of probably 20 to 30 people getting killed. She engaged the threat and stopped it. She didn't run from the threat. She engaged it, preventing a mass casualty here in Charleston. And over the weekend, Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks was asked about whether or not he was willing to vote for any new gun control laws making its way through Congress if it was a bipartisan effort. The Second Amendment is designed to help ensure that we, the citizenry, always have the right to take back our government should it become dictatorial. That was a great fear of the founding fathers, and quite frankly, it's a fear today. And as long as we enjoy uninfringed Second Amendment rights, then we don't really have to worry that much about the government ever becoming dictatorial. But the moment that we take from our citizenry, our ability to take our government back is the moment that the ability of dictatorial forces increases to the point where perhaps they will try to implement a dictatorial government at the federal uh, level. So I want to protect the Second Amendment right to bear arms. The amendment is very clear. It says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If there are proposals out there that guarantee uh, the rights of the American people to freely exercise their Second Amendment right to bear and keep arms, uh, then I'll consider them. But if you're talking about depriving people of their Second Amendment right to bear arms, well, first, it's unconstitutional. So you're going to have to address that with a constitutional amendment, and we'll see how Congress Congress and the states react to that kind of measure. Uh, But second, it's not the proper way to go if you want to preserve our freedoms. And I say that having been the target of an assassination attempt on a baseball field in Virginia where 170 some odd bullets were fired over about a seven minute period of time. So I've been in the middle of one of these things and I was a primary target of the assassin where he had my name, my physical description in his pocket at the time he launched this attack. What we have to do is stop the motivation that causes these criminals, these horrific individuals, to do what they do. Brooks spoke extensively on Fox News this past weekend about gun control laws as well as the Second Amendment. There were many times when I went to school with a shotgun in my car. Why? Because I just got through duck hunting. Uh, there are other uh, teenagers my age at that t- point in time that also brought their weapons to school, and they had been hunters too for whatever it is uh, the hunting season was about. Now, back when I was growing up, we didn't have these mass killings, Okay. They weren't there. They didn't occur. Or if they did, I certainly was not cognizant of them. And they were very, very, very rare, so rare that I cannot recall a single instance in which one of those things occurred during my youth. Today, they're much more common. What's the big difference between when I was growing up and today? The big difference is a decline in the moral values, a decline in the respect for human life. If we teach proper moral values, if we teach respect for human life, if we properly address uh, mental health issues that may somehow or another be associated with all these things, then that is the way to fix the problem.
and the reason that Donald Trump chose to unendorse Mo Brooks for the Alabama Senate race. The president and I had many conversations between September 1st and his decision to unendorse me that revolved around his being reinstated, uh, revolved around his wanting to rescind the election. And I can understand him wanting to do that, okay? He was robbed, in my judgment, in 2020. In his judgment, he was robbed. And so I can understand that desire. Uh, the conflict was when I would explain the law does not permit us to do that. Our one shot at reversing the election, our one shot in an election contest under the United States Constitution and federal law is on January 6th. That's it. That's the final appeal date. So anything we do after that has to focus on winning the 2022 and 2024 elections. We can use what happened in 2020 as a motivation to try to get better election laws to use as a motivation to win in 2022 and 2024 to save our country. But what is now done in 2020 is irreversible under the United States Constitution and the United States Code. And I'm one of those who believes in law and order. I might not like it that that's the end game, but that is the end game. Judicial Watch out of Washington, D.C. is filing a lawsuit to stop mail-in ballots from being received and counted past Election Day. Judicial Watch says that ever since the presidential election in 2020, mail-in ballots have been abused. In particular, they're taking issue with the state of Illinois. A lawsuit has been filed against election officials in Illinois for now making Election Day extend for 14 days past the date. Judicial Watch says this negates federal law which states that the election day is the first Tuesday in November. Judicial Watch is asking for an injunction to halt the Illinois expanded voting day. They say it's diluting the votes of those who cast their ballots in a timely manner. Last week, there was a legal case won in Louisiana by a pastor who was arrested and fined for opening up his church during a COVID-19 lockdown order by the governor. Pastor Tony Spell was represented in his case by a group of attorneys from Alabama, who are part of the Foundation for Moral Law. I recently spoke with attorney John Ismo about the case and how he hopes that by taking it to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals it will not just be a win for those churches and pastors in Louisiana, but across the nation. The founding fathers of this nation really came out of a background of the Reformation. And their concept of church-state relations was basically that of Luther and Calvin. And so... They meant not just that the state cannot infringe upon free exercise of religion without a compelling interest. Rather, they meant that there was a jurisdictional separation between church and state. And as we understand what this means, is it means the government has no authority to dictate to us what we may believe. It has no authority to dictate to us in practices that churches engage in that are unique to churches, like church attendance like singing of hymns, like taking communion, other things that are unique. And then in a third category, things that we might say are things that the church does that others do as well, like having a church picnic, other people have picnics too, and so on. In those, the state may have some authority to regulate, but even there, subject to a strict scrutiny standard, they can do so only if they can show a compelling interest that cannot be achieved by less restrictive means. That's what we have argued to the Fifth Circuit. We are waiting for the other side to respond with a brief on their side. We'll get to respond following that, probably oral argument, then a decision, and who knows, possibly an appeal after that, depending on how that decision comes out. Last week, the Louisiana State Supreme Court cited in favor of Pastor Spell. 
There is someone looking for a good lawyer these days over in California. The husband of Nancy Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, was arrested this past weekend for driving under the influence of alcohol. The arrest occurred in Napa County, California. Pelosi drove through a stop sign while intoxicated, resulting in a crash with a Jeep and its lone driver. Fortunately, no one was injured. 82-year-old Pelosi was arrested, booked, and released on a $5,000 bond. The Speaker of the House has not made a public statement regarding her husband's DUI, saying it happened when she was on the East Coast for a speaking engagement. You're listening to The Daily Detail from 1819 News. Be sure and listen to host Phil Williams on Right Side Radio as he talks to Dr. Jordan Vaughn, an Alabama doctor who's expressing concerns about the push for kids to continue to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Following up the uh, ADPH saying kids should get boosters, but then I also saw where Pfizer just came out in the last couple of days, and they're suggesting three shots of the Pfizer vaccine for children under five years old. Your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, this vaccine, uh, since the uh, an initial um, kind of rollout of, of uh, the Pfizer product as well as the Moderna product, it was, it was a reasonable uh, thing to consider in people that were at high risk. And given the fact that there was just not that much of a history on this kind of vaccine technology in terms of uh, how it would affect children and, and, and the sort, that uh, it was really surprising as they continued to get not only younger and younger and younger, they're now even getting to the point where I think it's even six months and above. And the, the first study on even the six months to five-year-olds was so... Uh, convoluted and it was actually counterintuitive to what they thought that they had to roll back their sleeves and try it again, I guess. But this booster for the five to 11 year olds is, uh, it's pretty worrisome, especially that our state is recommending it. Um, the main thing with this data is among all age groups, the five to 11 year olds are the highest in terms of seropositivity. So five to 11 year olds have all had COVID almost 80% as of February 2022. And given that, I'm not really sure why these individuals need a booster, nor did the original two doses actually work. So I just can't see or understand why the uh, Alabama Department of Health is just so quickly following what the FDA said. Now, the problem with the FDA's approval was, first off, the uh, Vaccine and Biological Committee, which is the Independent Safety Board, uh, that is part of the FDA, didn't even meet before the approval. And then here's the other thing. The, uh, the meeting for the Vaccine in, uh, Independent Committee, which is the uh, ACIP by the CDC, they met four days after the FDA already approved it. So guess how the CDC members voted, given that it was already approved. Imagine if you're in a boardroom and you're there to vote on something that has already been enacted. What do you what do you think the likelihood that you would approve that would be? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You can find more of Phil Williams at rightsideradio.org. I'm Andrea Tice. I'll be back again tomorrow. I look forward to updating you then. Alabama. Alabama. Our great state. Alabama. Of Alabama. This has been The Daily Detail. For more up-to-date news, go to 1819news.com, where you'll find honest news and Alabama values. 